Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and I've got my my two best friends joining me again. Kev Pogzelski's here. Kev, hello. Hi there, Connor. That was, for, for anyone listening, a poor attempt at a joke that he attempted off air. And it sunk just as deep as it did this time. Vito, um, you're here to help me through this next hour or so with the the relic, Kev. <laughs> yeah, well, we're here now. Here to help, and should be a good chat too. You know, a lot of fun like, stuff happened this weekend. So I feel yeah. like I'm missing my black headphones. Mine are actually blue. Kev. Oh, okay, so. well, I'm missing my headphones. I need, I need a, yeah. It's like sitting, a, it's like sitting in front of two air pilots. Are you okay, Kev? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you all right? Have you calmed down there? I'm good. Yeah. Right, well, don't get too calm because we're about to talk about the Derby della Madonnina, the second of the season. And oh my God, what a game it was. AC Milan, of course, led 2-0 at halftime. Inter were, I think it's fair to say, embarrassing in the first half. But Inter came out in the second half and they turned it on their head and they scored four uncontested goals and won 4-2. Kev, where to begin? Yeah, yeah. Where to begin? It was brilliant game. Obviously, I think we we have had some really, really good Milan derbies. You know, even within the last decade, where neither side have been too successful. But this time, uh, it had that edge because there was clearly something riding on it. Verona beating Juventus obviously helped that. Milan had very little to lose, whereas Inter kind of had all the pressure on them. And I don't, I don't want to take too much away from Milan because they looked. Um, far more positive than they have been in recent games. But Juve, Inter looked nervous. Um, you know, and I kind of, after Daniele Fedeli flapped at the first goal, kind of put that a little bit down to Handanovic's absence. I think we under 
underestimate the uh, the role he plays in the inter side. But yeah, they looked they looked nervous, and you've got to think that Conte has got into them at half time because they came out a different side. They did look nervous, didn't they? And I think, all right, granted they were missing their goalkeeper and captain, but if you collapse to that extent based on your goalkeeper missing, I think it says a lot about the team. And Vito, I know we'll get onto some positives in a little bit. And I know I know they turned things around with an incredible second half performance. But Inter were they were horrid in that first half. And surely questions still need to be asked that they could collapse in that fashion in their biggest game of the season. They looked like they were either scared or they weren't trying hard enough in that first half. There wasn't that typical Antonio Conte-style aggression that you see from his teams. They were very well packed back. And AC Milan had so much space to pass the ball around. For instance, the likes of Benacer and Chalkanoglu had a lot of room to pass the ball in midfield. Uh, Kessie had enough time to control the ball and play basic passes, and that's probably one thing he's been criticised for since joining AC Milan from Atalanta, that his technique is not up to scratch. And then on the left side in particular, the likes of Teo Hernandez and Ante Rebic had plenty of room to uh, run riot. So uh, very concerning from that perspective from Inter to give AC Milan that freedom. And they were attacking with this great... uh, verve and confidence in the first 45 minutes and just uh, the Nerazzurri didn't look like they were able to react in the best way possible until after half time. No, and in in that first half, Kevin, it did look like Milan were the team going for the Scudetto and Inter were the middling team with nothing riding on the game. And I, I don't know, am I being a bit too harsh on Inter by, by saying that there are still big, big questions about this team. Um, I, I think we're being a, a little bit harsh when you're sort of putting it in the context of their season as a whole. This was easily their worst first half performance of the season. I, I can't recall one, not certainly in recent months, that I remember being this bad. The misplaced passes, the lack of positivity going forward. Um I was never a big fan of Candreva, and he kind of went back to what I, I sort of recall him being. You know, the reasons he used to frustrate me that it would be get the ball out wide to him, and it would be almost an aimless cross, or he wouldn't even get the cross in because it would hit the first man. You know, Theo Hernandez closing him down a lot. Whereas we've seen a little bit more from him this year. It was it was just an appalling first forty five minutes, and and we probably shouldn't be too negative because you know overall. Um, they're, they're, they're challenging. They've, they're giving us a Scudetto uh, race. But did Inter not in the second half, Kev, I'll stick with you, just do what you would have expected from them, given it's a derby, given how much was riding on it, and given how much better their team is than Milan's? And I know they scored two goals in quick succession, and full credit for that, but th- they shouldn't have taken 45 minutes to actually get into the game. I think there was a there was a couple of points in the first half where uh, Lukaku just turned Romagnoli far too easily and just powered away and then kind of overhit the ball a little. Um, Alexis Sanchez was out of all of the inter, um, inter players sort of lively in the first period. 
it was almost kind of they dragged everybody else along with them as well in the second half. And we we saw uh, Brozovic obviously break towards the end edge of the box to smash home that uh, that ball. Vicino was vastly improved in the second half because he was doing very little in the first. It was almost exactly the reason why I don't see him sort of remain into too long if they improve their midfield options because he just does so many of, of the basic things poorly. Um, yet he was the one who obviously popped up with the, uh, was the equaliser? Yes, it was. But Vito, looking at this, right, trying to put a positive slant on an effort into not that they need that much of a, a twist. They just beat me in unfortunately in the derby. But Marcello Brozovic, Matthias Facino, Stefan De Vrij and Romelu Lukaku all scored. Four different goal scorers in a derby that in recent seasons had been so defined by Mauro Icardi being the one to make the difference for Inter. And is that one of the signs of the progress of this Inter team that they've now got so many players who can step up for them, whereas before they were just so reliant on their striker? I certainly think so. Having this spread in goal scorers means that they don't have to be overly dependent on one or two players. As you just mentioned, there was that dependence on goals on Icardi when he was at the club. But now with Conte, he wants more contribution from all 11 starters or all 11 players that are featuring on the pitch. Uh, this way, with uh, the goals coming from midfielders as well, it means that uh, there isn't too much dependence on Lukaku, who has still scored enough goals already. And he's got about 17 now. Yeah, 17 goals. So that's an excellent first season from him. Lautaro, you know, before he got suspended, was on 11. But when you have the other players chipping in here and there, it just makes it hard for the opposition teams to stop because they have guys who will bang it in. And you can see with the Brozovic and uh, Vecino goals that uh, they were coming from deep midfield positions and... Uh, you can't always track the strikers, and that's a big plus for a team that wants to win trophies. I think Romelu Lukaku Kev fully deserved his goal. It took him until stoppage time to get it, but he had been quite good throughout the game, and in the end, he produced one of the most iconic celebrations you're likely to to remember. Yeah, he won't do it very often, though, as he picks up a booking. Um, with his scoring ratio, that would probably get him what at least two or three bans every season. Yeah. Um, if he did it, if he did it every goal, but yeah, it will. Uh, we discussed this on uh, social media earlier today. It will no doubt become part of inter choreography in the uh, in the coming years, probably after Lukaku has, has long left. Um, it, it the performance he gave, as I say, sort of roughing up. The Milan defence and just being direct, you know, with that that style that he's got, that such powerful speed. I was wondering if he would probably, even if Inter didn't win the league, be considered the player of the year. I think he's got to be a contender, right? I remember speaking to to a colleague. Um, she doesn't work for FIF, but she's a colleague who writes about Italian football. And we were talking around just before things broke up for Christmas. I think I was in, it was my last game. I was at Sassuolo Napoli and we were messaging about who the player of the season was so far. And I found it really difficult to actually look beyond Lukaku and Lautaro. 
because they were just so, so good. And Lukaku's kept going. Lautaro's been held back by a suspension, of course. But yeah, I, I think irrespective of what happens, him and Chiro Mobile obviously is a real front runner for that as well, given what he's doing at Lazio. But yeah, Lukaku's been great. And I think I said last week, he's just so likable as well. And it is great to see. But I think that, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but that celebration and it, w- it was quite a powerful image, right? Him standing there holding the corner flag with his shirt on as if he owns the San Siro, he owns Milan. And then for him to tweet, I think it was this on Monday morning or else late on Sunday night, there's a new king in town. I mean, that could be pointed both at Icardi and at Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I just think the tide, it has turned to Milan. Inter are definitely the dominant team there now, but is it turning in Italy as well? Is this one of those moments, Vita, that we look back at at the end of the season and think that was one of the, the big games where Inter took a big step towards the title? I definitely see it as a season-defining game because although Milan have been disappointing this season, to say the least, uh, Inter have really looked the good so far and... Uh, you know, it's these kind of games where you're down a lead, I mean, you're trailing, and then you're able to overcome this deficit and just turn things around. And that's one of the things about the best teams, that even when the circumstances are against them, they just have this uh, know-how and determination to just turn things around. And th- in this particular game, the Nerazzurri did show that. Yeah, Kev, you touched on Samuel Andanovic's absence. How big was it for Inter? Because... Badelli was a joke in the first half. Yeah, Badelli sort of has his his issues. Um, I, I obviously looked this up because I'm writing a piece for the site. And and um, Badelli's only a year younger than Handanovic. Yet the longest time he spent anywhere is Torino. I think he got 100 league games there or thereabouts. I think it was maybe even bang on. And obviously he had that awful mistake in him, which we knew kind of, you know, we joked before the game that that, that could be an issue. And he, he flapped terribly when there was no real need to flap. I'll give a little bit of credit that there was a there was an inter an inter defender that could have hooked the ball away, but he still made a, a bit of a mess of that. And then I think he could have done better with the uh, the Ibrahimovic um header. He, he you absolutely know, should have. And 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 I say when it was is even before they conceded, he came for a, a to punch a ball, and it almost it hit his wrist rather than his his fist, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a particularly difficult. He had a sort of jump above a couple of other players, but not sort of over them. And uh, at such an early stage in the game, and with you know Vito just taking the positive points from the game to say that this could sort of be a a catalyst for Inter to kick on. Hopefully that is the case, and the 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 issue with Padelli being in goal is why they look so nervous. Because that was only my my real negative regarding whether they can stay in this total race. Is if if their reaction to their first real test, if you like, or big game, uh, is to look that nervous, then I'm starting to worry. My prediction won't come. My my <laughs> before the season prediction won't come true. Um, but yeah, let, let's hope it's down to Videli because um, he'd certainly uh, give me um, concerns if I was playing in front of him. Yeah, I think if Videli has to play five, sorry, again, in a season that severely 
reduces Inter's chances of winning the league. What's your piece about for the listeners? Um, well, it, it's it's how Pedelli's um, arrival in that game kind of symbolised how how much hand how how important hand Danovic is to Inter, but also how important he's been for nearly a decade and probably underrated in in some quarters. And you know you forget his time at Udinese, and he's he's arguably one of the best keepers that Syria has seen in the last two decades. Yet he's 35; he could walk away with not a single trophy to his name, which I just find astonishing when the likes of Barcelona and Manchester United over the years have been rumoured to have been after him. You know that show of uh, loyalty to the club. Um, should be lauded and that's hopefully what I'll do in my piece yeah well do head over listeners to ForzaItalianFootball.com Tuesday morning that piece will be up so have a read of it and everything else I've written from the Frankie and the Tardini this weekend as well so we've got plenty up there looking over at Milan then Vito Hakan Chalonoglu kind of set the tempo for the first half with that shot that crashed off the post the first of three attempts that hit the woodwork on the night um and he looked okay is is suzo leaving exactly what he needed to to become the player that milan thought they were signing suzo leaving helped but i also think that this change in formation has helped the situation too uh, the 4-3-3 wasn't working with the players they had and it was surprising that AC Milan were able to be as high as they were last season under Gennaro Gattuso with that formation because it felt like he was just trying to, you know, flip the proverbial excrement on the wall and hope that it would stick. But uh, this time around, he played behind Ibrahimovic in the derby and I think it was far more beneficial for his game. Not only that, um, Chalganoglu plays his best football when he is playing behind a striker or strikers. So um, hopefully for him, this uh, this uh, change in formation helps him improve his performance as well. He's at the club. Speaking of Ibrahimovic, Kev, oldest goal scorer ever in the Milan derby. I mean, he, it's hard to deny the impact he's had. He's, he's 38 years old and not just turned 38. He's 38 and 120 nine days at the time he scored. I mean, he's getting on, but he, he's made a big difference. That's the first game Milan have lost since he's returned. Yeah, I've kind of uh, sort of talked down the um, the influence he's had there, but, you know, he, he was unbeaten until that point. And although you could argue he hadn't had too much of an impact apart from the goals, uh, the goal and the assist, that's what a striker's there for. You know, that's exactly what he's there for. Particularly I mean, that's not that bad, age. is it? It's, it's no, no, exactly. Scoring and, and assisting. I think because of the... Um, everything that goes around the image of Zlatan, I think we kind of expect him to be a little bit more... You know, people forget that he is now 38. So they kind of, you know, they, they believe the hype that, oh, he's a 38-year-old, but, we're, you know, he's as fit as a 25-year-old. And that, that that's just isn't the case however fit you are when you get into your mid-30s which uh, we, we all know I have you know things just don't move uh, as quickly as you like them to but to still have that impact at the highest level in professional football uh, is amazing 
Oh, he is a machine. And full credit to him. I, I've always been a big fan of his. And that remains to be true. Anyway, Inter are now technically top, even though they're not. Because they're, they're behind on head-to-head. But head-to-head doesn't come into things until everyone has played each other twice. But they are top. They, they lead Juventus. And the reason that is, is because... Well, Vito, Juventus went up the road to Hellas Verona and they they came up against the immovable force that is Fabio Borini and Giampaolo Pazzini. And despite Cristiano Ronaldo putting them 1-0 up, Juve lost. Yeah, it's incredible to see Juventus lose and also to a team like Hellas Verona who on paper are probably one of the weakest squads in the league, especially since they had just come up from Serie B. Uh, Hellas Verona, though, have been one of the surprise packets of the season. And uh, uh, Hellas Verona deserve credit for the win. They they stuck to the guns. Uh, Maras Kumbula, the young defender, had a goal disallowed in the first half uh, for offside. But uh, they didn't uh, take it to heart or just collapse mentally. Even once Ronaldo scored that goal, they just stuck to the game, belief in the philosophy, and yeah, it's incredible. Although Borini's goal was helped by mistakes from Bentancur and Pjanic, uh, uh, I think these smaller provincial clubs like Elis Verona suit a guy like Borini, and uh, he worked incredibly hard in this game. And then Pazzini, now he's going to be 36 this year, but he still provides that Jalo Blue side with valuable experience and. Uh, just the way he struck that penalty, just pure power and precision. Just wonderful stuff on his part. Kev, is Gianpaolo Pazzini the best attacking player in Serie A who is 35 years old? 35 years old or more, are you? No, 35 years old. Say yes. Yeah, let's let's go. Yeah, because I'm now trying to work out who else is thirty. He's better than he's better than Cristiano Ronaldo. Kev Pogzelski slaps. Oh, of course, Cristiano yes, he Ronaldo. just had a birthday. Yeah, he has. He's just had his thirty fifth birthday, but Pazzo is better than him, apparently, according to you. Well, Cristiano's fitter uh, as a physical specimen. <laughs> I'll get that clear. <laughs> I, I was um, a little surprised to see them call for. Uh, Pazzini from the bench to, you know, and I, I joked on Twitter that it was, um, you know, to come off and score the winner, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, well, we all know there is a 37 year old striker in Serie A who's better than not only the two of those, but also everyone older and younger than him in, in world football. But no, Juve, right, because it's not all going well there. I mean, there are reports, read into this what you will, but the sun have reported that Aaron Ramsey might be on his way out this summer. I'm not quite sure what I make of that, to be honest, given the source. But there's also reports from La Repubblica over here who who don't exactly delve into rumours all that much that, that Juve are considering getting rid of Maurizio Sarri, Vito, and replacing him with a man who is still on their payroll in Massimiliano Allegri. I think it would be a backward step if they did bring back Allegri. I really hope that this La Repubblica rumour is nothing more than that and that it's just a hoax. But you've brought in Sari to bring in a different style and different ideas. And I've mentioned a few times, 
whether it be here on the pod or on social media, that the midfield's not really suited for Sarismo or Saribo. Uh, Allegri, to me, would just cement domestic dominance once again. And I have said numerous times, Juventus have to aim for the Champions League. And they will never win the Champions League with Massimiliano Allegri. I will go as far as to say, Massimiliano Allegri will never win the Champions League. And that's the same for the Spanish coach who was just sacked by Barcelona, Ernesto Valverde. Too conservative for the modern game. You can't just go one or two nil up and just show mercy on the opponent. If the Agnelli family want to be happy with the Scudetto and aim for that fourth star, that's fine. But if you really want a third European Cup or Champions League, you can't bring back Allegri. To me, um, I think he would be a step backward. Uh, Juventus need to refresh in the squad anyway because they do have a few veterans. It's not just Ronaldo at 35. There are a few others too. And um, I do think also Allegri himself, I think he could do with a new challenge and go to either another Italian club or even coach in a different league and see what the atmosphere is like, experience different pressures and trying to coach in different environments. It is strange, isn't it? Because it, there's, it's no secret that Allegri wants to coach in the Premier League. I mean, he's been learning English for years in order to do exactly that. But I don't know. Mercia Sarri is one, one thing. I, I know it was a European trophy last season at Chelsea, but I'm not quite sure he's the man either. But Kev, what do you make of this whole thing? It's a little bit strange, isn't it? Because Sarri coming in kind of, I don't know, I just assumed it was almost like a stepping stone for them to to try and get Guardiola and to put some things in place before transitioning to like the ultimate model of that kind. Uh, but going to Allegri would surely be them kind of tearing up everything they've done this season. The the move for Sari certainly felt like there was a there was a shift in philosophy, certainly within the the power brokers at the club. Um, it clearly hasn't been working. I think this weekend's um, game, you know, plenty can see that as a, a sort of a smash and grab from Verona. But the reality is that they were probably the better side for the majority of the game. Um, Juventus have also in recent years kind of gone down this route. of They had so much success picking Pogba up so cheap, you know, and, and other players that, that didn't leave for huge sums like Andrea Pirlo. But They've offloaded Emre Chan after picking him up. They seem to have done the same with Rabiot and Ramsey. And then you've got a scenario where you've got too many bodies in. Um, if they could have shipped more out in the summer, maybe that would have freed up some space for actual players that Sari would have wanted to suit his style. Um, there were reports uh, in the UK about uh, Jorginho from Chelsea also being kind of tapped up. I don't know if I agree with... Um, Juventus and Allegri together would never win the European Cup or the Champions League um, like Vito because I think uh, in 2015 um, I'll be getting my years wrong but he, they, they faced an extremely good Barcelona side and I think that possibly preyed on their minds when they met, met, then met Real Madrid in, in Cardiff a couple of years later. I think depending on how badly Juve uh, think it's going this year and the fact that Legri's still on their payroll, it's whether they would be quite clear that 
he's coming in to see out the rest of the season. If they think it's going so badly with Sari and they're worried about Europe and winning um, the Italian title. Because I don't, I don't think if I was a Juventus fan, I would be that against that, providing they were sort of open with it. And it's, you know, it is, it is kind of a trend that we see in, in Italian football. And even, um, let's say, Bayern Munich, when they did it with uh, Jupp Heynckes, they got him in to sort of steady the ship. And then he was there for a little while, but they were very open about he was going to be finished. And then they even tried to go back to him this year when they, uh, they offloaded their coach. Yeah, you usually see it when things are going terribly wrong, though. Juve topped their group in the Champions League, a group that consisted of Atletico Madrid as well. And now they are still joined top of Serie A with a better head-to-head advantage over the team they are level on points with. I just think it's such a strange decision. Like, why appoint Sarri in the first place if six months down the line you're going to go back to Allegri? It just seems like there's not a lot of joint-up thinking happening there, which is not something you've ever been able to say about Juventus, uh, particularly in the last eight years. Everything has happened for a very clear reason, and they've made decisions that have been well thought out, and they've stuck to their guns and succeeded because of it. I, I just don't understand it. Anyway, nothing's happened yet, so we don't know. We might be wasting our time talking about this. Um, the other team who are very much in the title race, I don't care what Alistair McKenzie says, are Lazio. They came up here to Parma and they left with a 1-0 win. And Kev, they found a different way to win. They usually win late. This time they scored in the 41st minute. And, they, I mean, they rubbed their luck. They, Parma probably should have been given two penalties. They were given neither and, and Lazio left with the points yeah the uh, the penalty call at the end when um can't remember who it was but it was Cornelius that got you know there was a clear tug on his his shirt and I was w- watching the game and thought well I was, I was quite astonished that they hadn't called it back there was a stoppage in play that they could have you know reviewed it on the the, the bar and it's the it's the sort of decision that had it been Juventus everybody'd be crying uh that there was uh, some sort of conspiracy. I, I know um, Alistair, I saw uh, before the game, was saying about the amount of changes uh, that Lazio had and that it was a real test of their strength and depth. Um, and I think it proved very much that. It was hard fought. Palmer had a lot of the ball. Palmer were positive going forward. It was certainly the better side. It was it was really against the, the run of play that, that Casado um, sort of put them in the lead. Yeah, well, they had their chances, Lazio, in the first half, and then they probably should have been ahead early on. Luis Alberto, Lucas Leiva, Juro Mobile and Casado himself all missed chances, but once they got ahead, Parma really came into things in the second half, and you could probably say Parma bossed the second half, especially when Kuluzewski came on. He injected a lot of life into things, and he made one really poor decision on a break late on, but then maybe... 45 seconds later, he almost picked out the top corner with what would have been a really, really good goal. But uh, it's a strange one to analyse because Lazio got the points. They got the win. Their celebrations afterwards, by the way, the, the fans and the players said a lot to me. It, it, they went down beneath the curve of suit where their, their fans were and they were, they were jumping around, singing, celebrating. It was like the type of celebrations you see if a club just make it to a cup final or they win something. It really showed me that 
this team seem to to believe not only that they're able to compete with anyone, but that they're able to challenge Vito for the Scudetto and, and go the distance in the next three months. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I was originally skeptical about it, but uh, now I'm starting to believe that Lazio could be a contender for the title. In this particular game, I thought Parma were probably unfortunate not to get at least a point because of some of the chances they had. And also there was that situation with Cornelius. So um, I think uh, Diversa and the rest of his players, they deserve to feel aggrieved. That being said, I think Lazio to win away and they did not win comprehensively this time. Uh, I think that's a big positive for them because if you can win those games where you do struggle and you're not as uh, prolific as you have been in previous games, it has to show that you can deal with a variety of circumstances and that you don't have to win by playing one way. And for title winning teams, I think that's uh, extremely important that you can't just win playing the one type of football. And Lazio have showed in particular this season that whether it's scoring goals early in games or scoring goals late or scoring a bucket load of goals like they did against Spal in the previous round, that, you know, they are a team that's ready to surprise Serie A and perhaps even get that third Scudetto. Yeah, Lazio, one of the teams I've, I've written about, so head over to the website and have a read of that. But Kev, we'll hear Alistair's... Um, renewed but not updated I suppose thoughts in just a little bit but are they in the title race yes or no yeah definitely all right easy I agree one point off off after 33 or 23 games says a lot actually there was an interesting there is an interesting little stat which is this is the closest title race in Serie A in 18 years of course the the Derby d'Italia pair and uh Aside from the capital are involved, 18 years ago, 2001-2, same situation. Juve were top, um, and Inter and Roma 
were joining them. That season ended with Inter or with Juve winning the league one point ahead of Roma, who were in turn one point ahead of Inter. So maybe that's a precedent that will be followed. Juve win the league by a point over Lazio, and Lazio finish a point ahead of Inter. Who knows? But it's definitely shaping up to be quite exciting. Speaking of excitement, what's more exciting than a team who never know they're beaten? And that's exactly what Atalanta are. Kev, they went away to Fiorentina. They went 1-0 down, but as is so often the case, they turned things around and and won 2-1. A stat that came out of this game is Atalanta, since Gian-Pierre Gasparini was has been in charge there since the beginning of the 2016-17 season, have picked up 68, 68 points from losing positions, which is more than anyone across Europe's top five leagues. And if that doesn't sum up this Atalanta team, I don't know what does. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not just um, the amount of goals they know they can score, but it's that never-say-die Die attitude, and maybe that that comes from knowing that their some of their football at times is so free flowing that they they'll they'll always get one or two goals. Um, so they kind of you don't get too um, down after going behind. I think I can't remember last week if we you know just talking about Gasparini whether we touched on him winning the the coach of the year um, in Italy, which is obviously another fantastic achievement for for him and the club in 2019, and fully deserved. And, and they're now. Particularly Roma's recent slides, you know, looking like they're going to cement that fourth place again. Um, just be interesting when the Champions League starts up again, whether that uh, takes some of their focus. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that, but they were in the Champions League group stages and they still managed to be floating around the top four. So I don't know. I don't know how much I, I buy into that, but Vito, they are three points ahead of Roma and Roma go to Bergamo next week. That's going to be unbelievable. Concerning the last two results that uh, Roma have had in the league, I think uh, Atalanta, they get to play Roma game at probably the best time because uh, Roma, they're having a bit of an injury crisis again. And uh, Atalanta, I didn't think they were at the very best the spot making the comeback against the viola but uh, they showed that even if they're not playing at the highest intensity levels they can still play the possession football carve out chances for themselves and uh, get the win uh, that being said i think uh, ruslan malinovsky to come on and score the goal like he did uh, it was a fabulous strike and it, shows that uh, Atalanta, even if they don't have to rely on Papu Gomez or Josip Ilicic, uh, they can rely on uh, another player to add some extra dimensions to that team and uh, produce a lovely goal like that. Kevin, it's the biggest compliment that we can pay Atalanta that it's not surprising anymore that they're challenging for the top four. When you see them win, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that seems normal. The, The fact that they're now competing to finish in the Champions League places for the second time in a row and only the second time in their history, the third time in the top four under Gasparini, it's it's a huge testament as to how far they've come under them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, less so the Champions League places, but just that you you kind of, you make, if you make your prediction at the start of the season, you would probably nine times out of 10 just 
instantly put Atalanta in the European places without really thinking about it. You know, th- then you have the discussion with yourself as to whether they will get Champions League again. But we kind of see them as this sort of side that are always going to be uh, while Gasparini's there, while you know he's they're still bringing the players through that are going to be hitting the top six places. And one of the players they've brought through in recent years, of course, left this this winter at Musa Barro, and he's still doing business for the Bergamaschi because he put Roma to the sword on Friday evening and Bologna went to Rome. They won 3-2. Barrow scored twice. and I mean, we touched on it, but Vito, there, there, there seem to be problems at Roma. Oh, definitely. And uh, probably one of the reasons for that problem is that uh, Brian Cristante, he's been uh, woeful since he's been put into the starting lineup for Rome in recent weeks. Uh, personally, I do admit I don't think he is a deep-lying midfielder, and he certainly can't play as a defensive midfielder. So it was a rash challenge that he committed on uh, Orsolini for that red card, but I think in general, just the way he gets used at Roma does not suit him at all, and uh, I think he's a player that needs to play further up the pitch like he did at Atalanta. Another issue is that back line. Uh, Gianluca Mancini was playing well for quite a while, but he seems to be getting exposed again in defence. And Davide Santon, he's been getting chances now because Alessandro Florenzi has gone to Valencia. But in the last two games, I think he's been terrible at right back. And at least when Bruno Perez came on later on in the second half, at least he produced some sort of an attacking threat. Kev, why are you laughing? No, well... <laughs> Vito got on Cristante's case again, but then I wouldn't I wouldn't particularly uh, argue with Vito. I don't think he's good enough for that role. I don't think he's good enough for a side that's looking to secure Champions League football. That's a bit harsh. I think he is in his actual position, but he's not a defensive midfielder. And I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast, but when they played here in Parma in the Coppa Italia, he was playing a, as a, a centre back, and I mean. That's not what Brian Cristante can do well. He, he's not a great passer of the ball to play in defensive midfield. Never mind playing at, at the back and having to distribute from there. But I've actually got Alistair McKenzie, who I'm going to speak to. I'm happy to say I am now joined on the line by FIF's resident Roman, Alistair McKenzie. We're not going to talk about Lazio too much this week, Alistair. You'll probably be happy to know, despite them being just one point off top place now. But rather to talk about Roma, because you were at the Stadio Olimpico on Friday evening where they lost 3-2 to Amuzabaro-inspired Bologna. And what on earth is going wrong at Roma? What's happening there? Are, are they officially going through their annual crisis now? Um, yeah, it is officially crisis time for Roma now. Um, something Paolo Fonseca has not actually had to deal with yet, but the Olympico crowd on Friday night was very hostile. Lots of boos towards their own team, their own players. wasn't helped by the fact that they, the team played so badly, but they really didn't look up for the fight in front of, like I say, such a hostile home crowd. There was then a moment when Alexander Kolarov appeared to respond to the boos of the crowd by shouting back at them and then was booed by his own fans every single time he touched the ball. So uh, Bologna completely deserved their win, but that's now seven goals conceded in their last two games from Roma against Sassuolo and Bologna, teams that they should really be expecting to be. Um, so yeah, it is a crisis and it's um, it's strange to say because you know this has come on the back of 
Uh, a 1-1 draw against a high-flying Lazio team and a performance that you really merited a win in that game. In many ways, you expected Roma to kick on from that performance um, as the injuries, uh, some of them kind of cleared out a little bit as well. But they've gone the complete opposite direction. The defence is like Swiss cheese. It's uh, been absolutely <laughs> cut to pieces. Uh, there seems a real lack of leadership, um, a real lack of bite in this team. And uh, Fonseca doesn't look entirely sure how to deal with it at the moment. Well, they've got Atalanta away next week. And Atalanta won after Roma lost, which meant that there is now a three-point gap separating them from Atalanta in fourth place. Is a trip to Bergamo exactly what they need to kind of switch back on and get back into gear? or, Or is it coming at the worst possible time for them? I think it is coming at the worst possible time for them. I mean, it's obviously the kind of result that can be, a, that could be the kind of result that would be a, a turning point for them if they can go up to Bergamo and get the win to then claw their way back into the Champions League places. It would be a, a big moment for them. Um, but, you know, there's absolutely nothing to suggest from the last two performances that they're going to be capable of doing that. And if they're going to concede seven goals against the Swallow and Bologna, you have to worry for how they're going to defend against Atalanta, the team with you know the, the most dangerous tack in Serie A for the last two years. So it is going to be um, a nervy week for Roma, for their fans. I think the first thing that Fonseca really has to do in order to, to hold any hope of getting a result from this game is to just to organise them better because they were really... Um, torn apart far too easily um, by Bologna. Bologna were playing like the home team on Friday night and there were some quite uh, scathing comments from their midfielder Jerry Schutten after the game as well where he basically said that you know these guys you see their names and you think they're a big deal and then as soon as you start playing against them you realise they aren't. Um, pretty scathing stuff from him and you can kind of see what he means at the moment because the performance that they put out on the pitch there just simply wasn't good enough, likewise in the game against Sassuolo. And if they play anywhere near at the same level against Atalanta that they have in the last two games, you really worry for what might happen. Yeah, I suppose there's probably some positives in the fact that Atalanta have had their own struggles in Bergamo this season and they tend to be better on the road. But but who knows? Um, right, you are, you are here speaking to us and Lazio are now a point off top. I got to see them in the flesh again this weekend. So don't think you're avoiding me telling you that Lazio are in fact in the title race. And we all saw your tweet in which you admitted it, despite later backtracking on it. <laughs> Look, the one thing Lazio have got going for them right now, above um, over the other two teams, Juventus and into who they're up there with, is that they just have this ability to to play with complete freedom and confidence because they've already exceeded expectations for this season. Yes, they've got Inter coming up on the Sunday night, but in many ways, it's a far bigger game for Inter than it is for Lazio. They can go out there and give it their best shot. If they lose, then they're still overachieving. And um, what they're doing, building this lead in the Champions League places, is still really the focus. And I know you're getting sick of me saying <laughs> it, but it is true. And it, it does allow them, though, to, to take the best possible approach to these games because when you strip away that pressure is when this team will perform at their best. So, look, we can have a more serious conversation about this potentially if Lazio managed to beat Inter on Sunday night. I think at that point things start to get quite interesting. I'm still, for now, stubbornly sticking to my uh, 
belief that I'm not going to talk about Scudetto race for Lazio until we're into March. So I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> Don't worry about that, Alistair. I'll be sure to drop you another message and give you a call again next Monday evening. So until then, thanks very much. But we're going to talk about Bologna, guys, and particularly Musa Barro. Kev, do you think Bologna under Mihailovic is the perfect place for him to, to further his career? It looked it on uh, on Friday night. He was given plenty of freedom uh, to be creative. I've got two wonderful goals. Um, Mihailovic, obviously, he's, he's given Orsolini a chance as well. The back end of last season, um, when I saw Bologna live and then sort of kept tabs on them after, it, it does seem like the, the environment where a young attacker can flourish. Yeah, well, I, I do want to just err on the side of caution here and and tell everyone to please, please calm down about Musabaro because remember his emergence at Atalanta, not at the end of the last season, but at the end of the season before, I believe it was, he was scoring goals for fun and he was scoring against everybody, but he's still very, very raw and he's quite headless at times. He can lose his cool quite easily and his first touch can can be like a ball has come off a trampoline. So I do think people need to calm down a little bit until we've seen this over a six to nine month period from Barrow. He's got talent. He's able to finish. But please, everyone, just just relax a little bit. Vito, I want to talk to you about Ricardo Orsolini. I know you love him. And I I bumped into James Horncastle at the, the Artemio Frankie this weekend. And we were talking about him in the context of comparing him with Federico Chiesa. And Ricardo Rossellini doesn't get the love that Chiesa does, but is, could you argue the case that he's done a lot more over the last season than Chiesa has? I think in terms of goal and assists, if you look at those statistics online, you'd have to say, yes, Orsolini does get more involved in the goals. And... Uh, Orsolini, well, the funny thing is that uh, in the Italy 9 Armenia 1 game, uh, that last uh, Euro 2020 qualifier, it was uh, Orsolini who got his first Italy goal ahead of Chiesa. So that was rather hilarious when you look at it that way. But uh, putting that aside, if you look at the importance for the two clubs, Orsolini definitely has been more involved in the goals for the Velsine and a guy like Orsolini has really been thriving under Mihalovic. Uh, not just the formation change from the 3-5-2 they had under Filippo Inzaghi last season, but um, Mihalovic has uh, this thing for developing youngsters and giving them a chance. And I think Mihalovic uh, has been beneficial for the development of Orsolini and giving him that confidence. I do like to think that uh, also at, at least... Uh, with the way things are at Bologna, uh, they're not as much. Uh, there's not as much pressure as there is in Florence. I think in Florence, uh, although it's a smaller city than Bologna, but it's probably richer in history. Probably from a footballing point of view, despite not having as many scudetti as Bologna, they're still very influential because they've had so many great players in their history. Then there was the ownership scenario from the Della Valle family to Comiso. So I think there's that desire for success and uh, Chiesa, as fantastic as I think he is, with his lack of involvement in goals in general, 
Um, I think uh, that probably he needs to improve in that regard, as I've said numerous times. And uh, probably Orsolini, he's just going about his business, but I think uh, he can really make a difference in the future for both Bologna and even for Italy, even if it's just as an impact play in the short term. In a word, Vito, if you've got the decision to make ahead of the European Championship and you can take Chiesa or Orsolini in Italy's squad, who are you choosing? Orsolini. And it's Kev? really just about the goals and assists. Yeah. Uh, oof, oof, in a word. Right. No, Orsolini, Vito won me over. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've taken Orsolini as well and I don't even have to think about it. Bearing in mind how much I've spoken on this podcast about how much that guy frustrates me, I don't think there's any debate between him and Chiesa. I think if Chiesa's name wasn't Chiesa, people wouldn't rate him as highly as they do, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, moving on, Napoli lost 3-2 against Lecce at the Stadio San Paolo. And um, Marco Mancosu, his goal, Kev, the free kick. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, it, 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 there was something about it hitting the post and going in as well. It sort of sort of added added to the uh, to the uh, yeah, well, yeah the aesthetic of it, right? That's the one. That's the one I'm looking for. But <laughs> I'm was... trying to. I, I, I've been trying to get my head around this result since sort of seeing it come in on Sunday afternoon because I I only saw the highlights. I thought I sort of kind of because. Um, Napoli have shown signs of life under Catuso in recent weeks. I kind of thought, oh, well, okay, so it's two southern sides. Let Chael see it as a bit of a derby. And then I realised, oh, well, it was played at the San Paolo, so that wouldn't have had too much of an effect. Then you watch the highlights, and really, Napoli didn't fashion much in the way of chances by the, by the look of how they were cut. Milik nearly misses the tapping <laughs> from two yards. Um, you know, slamming it against the crossbar, and, and Callahan was relatively lucky. And I think if if they hadn't uh, scored those two goals, it the, the score probably would have been a fair reflection on how poor Napoli were at times. Well, they've got two big wins now in the last two weeks. They beat three and four nil last time out that Lecce. This is, and, and now they've beaten Napoli at the San Paolo. They're just three points above the drop zone, Vito, but they look capable of. Of upsetting teams. I mean, Juve kind of struggled when they went down there, didn't they? And, and Inter only left with a point. And Lecce, I think they've got who is it next? Is it Udinese? I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it, they look like they'll be able to do enough between now and the end of the season to to keep their head above water. They've certainly bought shrewdly in the January transfer window, and I think that will help them in the long run. They did produce some surprise results in the first half of the season, but uh, in the last two games, uh, I think the new signings have really benefited the guys that are already there. Uh, Lapadula, he scored two goals and he earned the free kick, which uh, Mancozo scored, and he's been there from the start of the season. But having players like Antonin Barak in the midfield controlling the play, I think he's been... Uh, a big difference maker. Ricardo Saponara looks like he's been reborn by moving to Lecce. He just has the freedom to move around the ground, pass 
at his own pace and pick the right passes. So I think he he looks much more comfortable when he's in a small side where people can look to him and he can feel like he's uh, a level or two above the rest of his teammates because he does make a difference uh, linking up the midfield and attack. And also on a smaller note, uh, early in the first, well, late in the first half, sorry, uh, Matteo Politano had a decent chance to score and make it 1-1. But uh, another new signing, Giulio Donati at left back, made a crucial block on him. So I think that although the main transfer business is done in the summer, it goes to show that if you can still make some decent purchases in January, they can make a difference. And if the last two games are anything to go by, uh, the Salentini have definitely done that. Yeah, they have. They've done They've done really well. And it is spell they're playing the next game. So, I mean, uh, anything's possible there, especially with Luigi Di Biagio after coming in to replace Leonardo Semplici. But we'll get on to the, to the Ferrarese in just a little bit bit I've completely lost myself but yeah no Genoa beat Cagliari 1-0 and Vito I'll stick with you for this Genoa got a win but but Cagliari are they've gone really really bad it's just fallen apart for them oh certainly early on in the season until November they were playing some of the most exciting football in Serie A and it looked like a few players were playing at the peak of the powers, it seemed like that also Rajanangalan had like a, another life in him, or you'd think he would be able to keep going as a Serie A football and really make a difference for this uh, Sardinian side. Uh, unfortunately for them, uh, the high tempo and high intensity style has really worn off. And you look at uh, them and you compare them to sides like Hellas Verona and Lecce. Uh, those two don't really play high-tempo side uh, styles, but they have that right balance. So they know when to play defensive and they know when to uh, play attacking football. So I think those two uh, teams, you know, they know how to get that right and pick their moments. Whereas uh, Coyote, it seemed that they were just playing one style in one way. And it's very hard to maintain that style over the course of 38 games. Kev, um Sampdoria went up to Torino and they got a, a nice 3-1 win. Guess who scored? Oh, terrible. He should have gi- he should have given Ramirez the chance for a hat-trick. We How selfish. This. Goals How selfish. are his business, Kev. Goals yeah. are his business. Oh, no. At his age, he should have known how, how much taking the match ball home would have meant to Gaston Ramirez. He got his goal, Kev. He's on, he's on seven. You've got to be nervous now. He's, he's no. just banging them in. I told banging you after him, his first Banging them in from the penalty spot, yeah. And they all no. count, don't they? They do all count. They if do he all scores count. 15 penalties this season, it's the same to me as if he scored 15 overhead kicks, mate. Well... We'll see if uh, they count to 15 at the end of the campaign, won't we? They will, because he's got two assists as well. So technically, he's on nine goals. So he only needs six more to <laughs> to get to 15, because I am including assists in this. I, I'm sure I said that earlier on in the discussion. Um, <laughs> no, nah, is not going to let me down. Don't you worry about that. Vito, I should congratulate you, actually, because you had a pop at Gaston Ramirez last week and he, he went and scored two goals in response. Yeah, um, I feel very 
thrilled about that because I don't know if word got around or there was something in the stars or something, but after that rant last week, he just really turned it on on the weekend. Uh, Sirigu denied him twice early on, but then to score two goals in five minutes and two lovely goals at that, especially that free kick, that was beautiful. Um, you know, I'm just really glad that he did turn it around and yeah, I did it. <laughs> I, I somehow turned it around and it worked. So I really hope he kicks on from that because uh, Claudio Ranieri has said a few times that he's a big believer in his talent. And uh, uh, that's the thing with these number 10s. The mercurial players, they can really frustrate like they did last week. But this was a really positive performance from him and probably one of his best ever games since he's joined Sump. Mm. Kev, Spal looked set to get a point against Sassuolo, but Jeremy Boga popped up in the 90th minute to, to keep... Spal bottom of Serie A on 15 points, seven points adrift now. And Leonardo Semplici paid for the defeat and for their form by, by losing his job. Yeah, you sort of said earlier about anything can happen at Spal. But that's the one thing that isn't happening at Spal in the last few weeks. And the more I look at it, they can't, well, obviously they've made the change now, but they can't allow that to go on for too much longer because that seven points will as soon as if they lose another game and that becomes sort of ten points, it it, it suddenly looks like a, a much bigger gap with two digits in the number. Um, and I kind of fear that they'd be among my three to go down. Yeah, at this well, very you look at it; they've got Lecce away next week. Lecce beat them. That's it. It's ten points. Then Spal play Juventus. Then they've got um, Parma away, and Parma are quite solid this season. And I think they've got who have they got coming up then? Napoli are coming up in the next few weeks as well. And you wouldn't be surprised to see DiBiagio get the boot after that Napoli game with them having picked up no points from 15. And Leonardo Semplici coming back for the game against Milan in a month and masterminding a, a 1 0 win at the Palo Mazza. But I don't know. Semplici gave that club so much and it does seem like he's left on quite amicable terms. So I wouldn't rule out a comeback and given what he gave to that club, he took them from Lega Pro to Serie A, got them finishing 13th in Serie A and yeah, he's, he's adored there. He's absolutely adored there and he loves the fans as well. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see the two of those reunited in the not too distant future, be it this season, next or a couple of years down the line. Um, what's left? What is left? Oh, Brescia Udinese won all. Brescia are in big trouble. Vito, Eugenio Carini is gone again, sacked for the second time this season, and it's not looking good. No, it's not looking good. And uh, Massimo Cellino, the Brescia president, has gone down the path of uh, looking back to people that were involved at Cagliari when he was the president. He's brought in Diego Lopez, who coached... Uh, Cagliari when he was the president there and they survived relegation. So it seems that he's gone for the same method again. We'll probably backfire again, though, because last season before Carini took over, he had hired uh, David Suazo for his first uh, senior job and that did not work out too well. So um, we'll have to just wait and see if this, uh, you know, creation of Cagliari 2 Works out, but I think it's just another recipe for disaster. It does seem like it's only going one way for, for Brescia. 
and that is very much the same direction as Spal. Though I do stand by my prediction that Spal will finish ahead of Brescia this season. I'm not quite sure if I'm as confident that they'll stay up, but I'll stick with it for now. Spal are going to stay up. Um, Brescia, of course, are on 16 points, so six points adrift of Lecce, seven behind Sampdoria, and nine behind Udinese. So it doesn't look too good. Guys, we've reached the end. Thank you for joining me. Everybody listening, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com. Our match coverage is is always going on. We're at games every weekend. The only Italian football podcast actually that that attends games. The only Italian football podcast website that attends games. And yeah, that's not going to change next weekend either. We're always doing bits. But um, Kev, thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Wow, that's the kindest you've ever been for me. Vito, thanks as ever. No worries, Connor. Anytime. Perfect. Vito's always Italia. Um, that's all I have to say. Goodbye, everybody. Good boy, Kev. Yo darei la vita, la mia vita, in fondo lo so. Sarà una partita infinita. Un sogno che ho, è un coro che sale a sognare su Giuliano, 90 minuti per segnare nero azzurri, noi saremo qui nero azzurri, pazzi come per nero azzurri, non fateci soffrire.
truccate non ce n'è più adesso il cielo è nero blu e non me la ricordo ti fare l'inter vuol dire onore a me i cucini li odio con tutto il cuore la 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 caporista sola la 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 caporista sola la 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 caporista sola y luego caer se me va la capolista se me va la capolista se me va la capolista se me va se me va la capolista se me va la capolista se me va la capolista se me va Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.